Uh, Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Last week, we focused on Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And in the next few verses of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about three acts of righteousness, giving to the needy and prayer and fasting. And each time that he talks about them, he, he, gives, he gives a warning about what happens when we do them in order to be seen by other people. And then he teaches us how we should go about doing it. And then he tells us that, that when we do these things in secret, when we do them uh, for the Father and in the presence of the Father alone, then our Heavenly Father will reward you. Each time, as he talks about giving to the needy prayer and fasting, he finishes in that way, that, that your Father who sees what you do in secret, he will reward you. Your Heavenly Father will reward you. What is the reward? I mentioned last week that there, there may very well be some sort of, of heavenly currency that we, we receive. Just here in a few verses later, uh, when we flip the page later in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to say, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So there may be some sort of heavenly currency waiting for us. But in addition to whatever God has for us then, which we are not yet clear about, we can't quite, can't fully know, there are at least two other rewards that God has for us right now when we practice our righteous actions with him and for him in secret in his presence. There are rewards that we will for sure experience now if we practice these things in the way that Jesus instructs us to practice them. We will receive from God a transformed and changed heart, and we will receive the gift of himself, a deeper experience of the reality of his presence with us, a deeper understanding and experience of being his children. And this is what I want to talk about today, the reward of the presence of our heavenly father in our life. In our time in the Gospel of Matthew over these months, uh, we, we've been, and as we're going to be seeing over the next year or so, it's about discipleship, about, about following Jesus, about becoming more like Jesus. And what we see in Jesus' life is that he was always, at every single moment, he was living from the understanding that he was the son of the father. That was his identity. All of the love that flowed out to other people, all of his energy and purpose for do, to doing the work that he did, all of that was generated from this intimacy and love that he had from his father and from his understanding of his identity as his son. At his baptism that we looked at a few months ago, a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And that word came from the Father before his ministry began, before he healed anyone, before he taught a single word, before the cross and the resurrection, before he accomplished anything that he was sent to do. Before all of that, the Father said, this is my son. I am well pleased with him. 
And so everything that Jesus did in his life and in his ministry was something that he and the Father did together. And this is where we begin as his followers as well. The righteous acts that we do as his followers, as followers of Jesus, they are not a performance. They are not a performance for ourselves so that we can feel a bit better about ourselves. They are not for others, and they are certainly not a performance for God. As followers of Jesus, we are learning to do our good works in the way that Jesus did. In the way that Jesus went about his good works is that he knew that he was doing them with his Father in heaven. And this is what Jesus is teaching us about here in Matthew chapter 6. He is moving us past that temptation that all of us have to perform to somehow win the acceptance of God, or to earn the approval of other people. And so here in this chapter, Jesus, our teacher, he is inviting us into a better way to do our good works than we might naturally do them on our own. This is his way, the way of living and acting and working with God, our Father. So in this chapter, Jesus talks about these three acts of righteousness and gives us instructions about how to practice them. And so last week, we talked about about Jesus' warnings about these practices, right? That there's a way that we can go about doing these practices, all three of these practices, because they are are religious practices, because they, they, they look good on the outside. We can do them in such a way in such a way that actually shrinks our soul. When we do them for the approval of others, or when we do it for recognition, or when we, we do these things as performance, Jesus tells us that when we do that, that we will, in that moment, get the reward that we're looking for. Other people will see us, and that's what we wanted. And that reward is what we will get, but that's where the reward will end. So that was Jesus' warnings, that when we do these acts of righteousness for the approval for, of others or to perform for God or to somehow make ourselves feel better, then it can shrink our soul. But today we're going to look at the positive aspect of Jesus' teachings about these three acts of righteousness and talk about this reward, this far better reward than the approval of other people, this far better reward that is available to us, the reward of the presence of God. And so what I want to do this week is to to look at how each of these three practices are ways, are are a way for us to experience the presence of God. Each of these practices, they they loosen our dependence on ourselves, they loosen our dependence on earthly things, and they open us up to be more aware of God and to be more dependent on Him in our life. And so in addition to talking about the way that these practices uh, help us to become more dependent on God our Father, what I also want to do this morning is to give some practical suggestions about how to go about practicing uh, these three things, how to give, how to pray, and how to fast. Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. When you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. 
I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I think when we we talk about giving in the church, I think we often focus on the wrong set of questions. As Christians, we often focus on the questions of how much should I give? Uh, Are Christians required to tithe their money, to to give 10% of their income? And and should that 10% come from the gross or from the net of our income? And as Christians, what should I do with my money? How should I budget my money? And it's not that those questions aren't important to ask or to discuss. They are, but I think that we, we ask them too quickly. I think they are our focus. But before we can know what to do with our money, we need to know who we are. And we are children of our Heavenly Father, and everything that we have been given is a gift from Him and is to be used in that way. And so when we start our conversation about, how, about giving with the question of what or how much, we are very quickly living under the law and not under grace. We're living out of compulsion rather than out of a relationship with our Father. What Jesus is teaching us here in this passage about giving our way our money is that our giving is something that we can do together with our Heavenly Father. Father, you and I are are in a relationship with one another, and this money belongs to you. You and I are going to use this money together. So, Father, how much? How much to Broadway? How how much to the ministry down the street? How much to uh, my neighbor who I know is in need and who is struggling? And if you can know, if you can, can truly know that you are a child of the Father, that your giving is one of the ways that you are joining with God in the work that he is doing in the world, then talk about percentages and whether or not we should tithe or not. All of those questions, I think, get answered really quickly for us. And we begin to give from this perspective, then the love of Jesus comes alive in us. When we give in this, this prayerful way, our giving becomes an overflow of the love of Christ that is in us. And that uh, love of Christ overflows toward other people. So when we see a need or we see that someone has a need or we see a church or an organization that is meeting a need that God has placed on our heart, our giving then is a way not to uh, fulfill some obligation that we have to God, but instead it's a response of love that we have for God and for, for people. It's in his love that overflows from us that we then choose to give. One of the spiritual benefits of of giving in in this way, of of prayerfully giving, understanding that this is a a work that God has invited us to do together with him, is that it really has a way of loosening our grip on material things. It loosens up our dependency on money. Uh, Research says that the the average American gives 2% of their income away to charity. 2%. 2%. Churches, nonprofits, that's, that's the average American, the richest group of people who have ever walked the face of the earth. 2% of our income given to charity. 
don't worry, Christians in America do better. We give 2.43% away. Apparently, we depend on money 0.43% less than our non-believing neighbors. Friends, we are invited into a relationship with the Father, a child to a Father. This is a relationship of dependency. In our willingness or our lack of willingness to give, whatever the case may be, that is a mirror to our hearts about what we depend on, what we rely on for our safety and our security. So I just want to mention a couple notes, a practical notes about giving. First of all, if you are a person that for, for many years has been in the habit of giving, it's something that you do, good job, and no doubt that regular practice of giving has shaped you and formed you in some way. The challenge that I want to give to you, what I want to ask for you today, if you are a person who is in the habit of regularly giving uh, to the church or to the needy or to, uh, to other people, The challenge I have for you today is to ask yourself the question whether that practice has simply become another line item in your budget, like paying the electric bill, or whether it's something that you are doing as in relationship with God your Father. Have you stopped making that act an act of prayer, an act of worship, an act of partnership with God your Father? Secondly, if you are someone who hasn't been in the habit of giving, I challenge you to ask the question, why not? What what are you holding on to? Why is it that that you can't release this money that God has given to you to to Christ, to the church, to, uh, to other people who are in need? In what way are you depending on that money for your safety and your security? Giving away your money is a practice that can set you free from feeling as if money is what keeps you safe. Let's move on to prayer. Verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins." I've often mentioned my favorite teacher on the Sermon on the Mount, Dallas Willard. This is how he defines prayer. Prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. I think that's beautifully simple. I think we, it's very easy to make it more complicated than that. Prayer is talking with God 
about what we are doing together. So let's talk about the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus says, pray like this, whoo, you guys getting dizzy yet? There we go, okay. When Jesus says, pray like this, I, I think that he meant pray like this. I think that the Lord's Prayer Praying these words in some way on a regular basis is an important practice for us as followers of Jesus. Of course, it can become rote, and there are concerns with with rote prayers. But I want to suggest to you that just because a prayer is written out, because a prayer has been given to us to read, like the Lord's Prayer or prayers in the Psalms or a written prayer like the one we've been praying for our time of silent confession— That because a prayer is written out doesn't mean that that prayer can't be prayed genuinely and from the heart. Reciting a prayer or reading a prayer is one form of prayer that the Bible gives us as a way to help us to learn how to pray. And in my own prayer life, using written prayers both in the Psalms as well as in different prayer books has helped me to pray better. It has helped me to learn to pray about things that I wouldn't think to pray on my own. And so just because a prayer is, and uh, the flip side of this is that just because a prayer is prayed extemporaneously doesn't mean that it's genuine. In fact, I think that often extemporaneous prayers is what Jesus is warning us about here, about people babbling and going on and on, thinking that their many words will be heard. I've been in many, many um, prayer meetings with pastors sitting around impressing with one, one another with our words in prayer. Saying rote prayers or babbling on and on is, is a problem in prayer. But, but it's not the form of the prayer, either a written prayer or some sort of extemporaneous prayer that fixes that problem. The question is, are you engaging your mind? Are you engaging your heart as you pray the prayer? Is God the audience of one as you are praying this prayer? And so here in the Lord's Prayer, yes, it's very easy for us to pray this prayer and for it to become rote, for us to not engage our minds and our hearts to pray it. But here Jesus says that when you pray, pray like this. And he teaches us this prayer. And I think we ought to, as followers of Jesus, pray this prayer regularly. Let me just give you a few words about the Lord's Prayer. The first thing that I want you to notice is that the Lord's Prayer, it's a series of requests. It's a series of requests. Really, that's all that it is. It addresses God our Father, and then it's a series of requests. There's a lot of different aspects of a prayerful life, confession and praise and thanksgiving. We're given those kinds of prayers in the scriptures, in the Psalms, and in the prophets, and also in the letters of the early church. But it's interesting to me that when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, address God as our Father, and then make requests to him. I've often heard people criticize the idea that, you know, we shouldn't just always be making requests to God, that we need to do all of these other things. And that's, that's true. And I, I think I've made that criticism as well. We want to make sure that, you know, we don't make God into, you know, some sort of Santa Claus in the sky that we ask and we hope to receive everything that we ask for. 
But Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, told us that we are children making requests of our Father. And when we come to our Father with that attitude of a dependent child, when we acknowledge that we are poor and needy, when we come to our Father with requests, with that sort of attitude, knowing that we need Him, it gives Him pleasure and it honors Him. When we come to the Father with requests for the needs of the the world around us, for the people around us who are sick, when we come to our Father making requests for our family or our friends who don't know Him, when we come to Him with all of those kinds of prayers and requests, this is what Jesus says is really a picture of the heart of prayer. Prayer is a child coming to the Father with requests for things that He wants and things that He needs and what He thinks and sees that other people need. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. I want to look at another passage where Jesus teaches about this prayer. Luke chapter 11. At the beginning of Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples come to him and they ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then he he gives them another version of this, this Lord's prayer. I'm sure that there were many different times when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And then he goes on in Luke chapter 11 to give some different illustrations and parables about prayer. Um, And then he says this in verse 9. Again, this is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And in verse 9, he says this. "I, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he gives this illustration. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This last sentence has, has often made me, made me wonder. Jesus doesn't say, how much more will the Father give you whatever you ask for? The mention of the Holy Spirit in this passage even comes out of nowhere, it seems to me. Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He doesn't even say, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to ask who ask him for the Holy Spirit? What he says is, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are in the habit of asking their Father for what they need? That's what Jesus is saying here. When we come to the Father as dependent children, it creates space in our life for us to experience the personal presence, the Holy Spirit of God. The act of asking, the act of making a request of God puts God in the right place in our life. 
It admits that we need God. And when we are in that place in our life, that is when the Holy Spirit can come. The end goal of all of our prayers is that we would be filled with God's Spirit. When God's children begin to make requests of him, God begins to give them his greatest gift of all, which is the gift of his presence, a gift that is far better than any egg or fish that an earthly father can provide. In fact, it's a better gift than anything that we can actually ask for. But the Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him who are people who are in the habit of placing themselves in this place of dependency on their heavenly father. So I want to give you some suggestions for for praying the Lord's Prayer. In In your daily time of prayer, I invite you to try to make the Lord's Prayer the framework for your own prayer. To take each line one at a time, and while you hold each line uh, uh, in your head to then, to then ask how that, how that prayer applies to the circumstances that are happening in the world around you, to the circumstances that are happening in your own family or in your church or in your own heart and in your own life. And so, for instance, when you come to the request, Father, may your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, you begin to ask in what ways... Does the reality of God's rule and his reign and his kingdom, in what ways do I see, Father, and desire, Father, to see your gracious and kind and loving and just reign come to this place? Lord, what have you put on on my heart that burdens me where I see this world is broken? Father, would your kingdom come and your will be done there in that place? When you come to the phrase, give us today our daily bread, what are the needs, the basic needs and necessities that you have? And to ask your father as a dependent child, Lord, would you provide for me these things that I need? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Begin to name the people in your life who you need to forgive and also to name, this is a time of confession for you to, to ask God to forgive you of the specific things that you have done to wrong him. You see that, how this prayer can be said, and I think should be said in a way that we simply recite it, certainly with our minds engaged, but also to use it as a way to structure our own prayers in our own life. Let's move on to Fasting. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what is, what is fasting? This is, this is my definition of fasting. Fasting, abstaining from a good thing, usually food, for the purpose of enjoying God. Abstaining, that means staying away from, not doing, not participating in, from a good thing, 
okay? Uh, abstaining from sin is not fasting. It's called righteousness and holiness, okay? <laughs> abstaining from a good thing, something, a good gift that God has given to us, usually food for the purpose of enjoying God. Whenever the topic of fasting comes up, there's always the question, can I fast from something other than food? And of course, the answer is yes. And there's many spiritual benefits in our relationship with God when we choose to abstain from some good thing, some good gift from God in order to enjoy God himself more. And scripture talks about this uh, many different times. And I think for those of us who live, who live in America and are, for the most part, very, very wealthy in comparison uh, to the rest of the world, there are many benefits from us abstaining from good, material things, whatever those things may, uh, may be, because we are very accustomed to getting what we want fairly quickly, so used to filling up our lives in our time, in our space, uh, with material things. So the discipline of abstinence, of abstaining from a good thing, um, I think can only be good for us. But with that said, what's very clear in the scriptures is that when the Bible talks about fasting, when it uses the word fasting, it always refers to abstaining from food in some way. Sometimes abstaining from food altogether, sometimes abstaining from certain kinds of food, sometimes, um, but, but fasting in scripture is always about food. And the reason for that is because, because food is a physical necessity for us, right? We cannot live without food. God has made us in such a way that we need food in order to survive. Food is a physical necessity. Other than oxygen and water is the most immediate thing that we need in order to live. And so there's some deeper things that are, are going on in us when we fast from food that isn't happening when we, we fast or abstain from, from other things. When we abstain from food, we are, we, are saying, we are declaring something to our body. We are declaring something to our own flesh and to our own souls. When we abstain from food, we are saying that true life, satisfaction and fullness, does not come from any material thing, but comes from God. When we fast, that's what we are saying to our bodies and to our souls. When we fast, we are reminding our bodies that our life does not begin and end by fulfilling and satisfying the desires of our flesh. We are reminding our bodies that the desires of our flesh need to be conformed to the desires of the Spirit and not the other way around. Fasting, abstaining from food, is for the purpose of enjoying God. Intimacy with God. And Jesus tells that here in this passage that, that when we fast, like when we give to the needy or like when we pray, that the Father will reward you. Now, the many rewards that, that may be possible, as we've talked about today, one of those rewards is intimacy with him. Because when we fast, it, it, creates, it creates an empty space in our life. It creates emptiness in us. It creates, creates some pain creates some discomfort in us. But when we fast with that desire to come to know him and to enjoy him more, he cultivates, he fills up that space with a hunger and a desire for him. And so rather than, than finding that our, in our day-to-day -day activity, finding our comfort from material things, 
and begin to learn that we can find our comfort and our satisfaction in God. At one point in my life, um, I decided for a period of time to, um, to, fast, from, to fast from coffee. And um, for me, coffee is not about the caffeine. It's about the experience of the coffee, just having that hot cup of coffee and that taste. Um, and it was amazing to me in that time um, how angry I would get when I couldn't have coffee. It wasn't just, man, I really wish I could have this coffee right now. But, you know, in my time in the morning and, and as I'm praying and reading the Bible, reading scripture, and I can't have my angry that I can't have it. I just realize the ways that my soul has become dependent on that experience. Oh, I hope I don't have to fast from that again anytime soon. <laughs> but maybe I just admitted that I need to. Fasting as a regular Christian practice trains us to turn to God to be our comforter, the ones who satisfies us, rather than to turn to whatever other good thing, good gifts from God that we turn to. Fasting empties ourselves of that so that we will learn and train ourselves to turn to God. So I encourage you to try it. If it's something you've never done before, begin very small one meal, lunch, one day, and take that time that you would have spent preparing that meal and eating that meal, spend that time in prayer and make it a regular practice. And over time, like all of the practices that we talk about here at Broadway, all the spiritual disciplines that we talk about, that over time, as we do them persistently, over time we will find that God is at work forming and transforming our hearts. It takes a while. It's not going to happen immediately. But over time, as you practice them, as you do it prayerfully, God will be at work transforming your heart. Friends, in this passage in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is he's offering us a better way, a better way to practice our righteous acts. He's teaching us that doing our acts of righteousness as a performance so that others will see us or so that we can gain approval from other people, or so that we can think well of ourselves, or to even think that somehow this performing of this act somehow makes God like me more. If we are doing our righteous actions in those ways, Jesus says that will be a prison, it will bring no joy, and you will not experience the reward of the presence of the Father. What Jesus invites us to instead is he says that your Father in heaven is inviting you to do these things with him. That prayer is an opportunity to, uh, for us to talk with God about the things that we are doing together. That giving our money is a way for us to take the material resources that God has given to us and to use them as an expression of love for other people. That we do that together with God in the love that he has given uh, to us and implanted in our hearts. When we fast, we are doing that with him, not to impress him, certainly not to impress other people. But we do that with him as a way to form and to shape our own hearts and our own souls so that we will learn better to depend on him. He is inviting us to do these things with him. 
These are ways that Jesus offers to us for us to experience his presence in your life, to learn about his character, to allow the love of Christ to fill you and to overflow out of you into the lives of other people in a way for you to express your love for Christ and for others. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you that you have given us this, this different way. We, we would choose something different. Uh, we, would, we would do these things um, in our own strength. We would do them to impress other people. And here you, you say that there's a better way, a way to do that uh, with you, to do it with you as, as our only audience. And Lord, I pray that as my brothers and sisters in Christ here today, as they commit themselves to the practice of giving, to the practice of prayer, to the practice of fasting, to whatever other spiritual discipline that you give to them in their lives, Lord, I pray that they would see fruit from that, that they would experience your presence, they would come to know themselves better as your child, and experience the reality of your presence in a, in a more real way in their lives. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.